Hello and welcome to The Flex. I'm Matt St. Jean here alongside Joe Howie, sitting here recording this with less than two weeks to go until actual real Friday basketball at the Dunkin' Donuts Center returns to our TV screens. It's great that we're that close. Joe, how are you feeling? Um, well, right now it's uh, Wednesday, October 27th, which means we are actually less than two weeks. Um, I can't believe it. I feel like the off season flew by. And let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get back to the dunk. I can't wait to be back in that building on November 9th. Yeah, it's been far too long since the Friars played a real game there. But they did play a fake game there. They played an exhibition against Stonehill last week. And they also had a black and white scrimmage. We are going to have in the second part of this podcast an interview with WDOM's Peter DiBiase, who's going to go over some of this for us as he was there in person for those. But we're going to start by talking about some big picture stuff, kind of get you ready for the season so that when we ta- start talking about the nitty gritty, you know what's going on. So the first thing, Joe, run us through who are the new guys on this team and what are you expecting from them? So there's quite a few new names on this list. Um, Al Durham, Justin Manaya, Mateus Case, Legend Jeter, Luke Fonts, and Kieran O'Hare, not to mention Rafael Castro, who has been confirmed as a redshirt for the season. Quite a few new pieces coming in. I think realistically, if you're going to look at the, the banner names here, Al Durham, Justin Manaya. And honestly, I feel like Legend Jeter is going to have some type of role-playing position off the bench. I don't know if that's going to be a, a 5 to 10 minutes kind of guy or 15 to 20, but I feel like he fits that power forward prototype that Ed Cooley loves. So he's on the back burner, but Manaya and Durham, definitely the top two to keep an eye out for this season, especially early on. Yeah, and I know, I mean, they sent Durham and Manaya both to media day, which I think says a lot about what the team thinks of them. Obviously, part of it is these are new guys and you want the media to get a chance to meet them, but you're sending new guys that you think are going to make an impact. We're going to talk about starting lineups a little bit later. We think at least one of those two is probably going to be a starter this year, and they're going to have to step up and replace the likes of David Duke. And that's that's the big name you need to know when you're looking at who isn't on this roster anymore. Yeah, David Duke is definitely the highlight of who has left the roster. I mean, Jimmy Nichols, who was a, a, a half-season starter. You know, there's Chris Monroe, Greg Gant, guys off the bench that, you know, could shoot it here and there but didn't really play too much of a, a major role in last year's team. David Duke, definitely the headliner. I think Al Durham was recruited in anticipation of Duke's absence. You know, all this preseason propaganda produced by the PC Athletics, <laughs> Instagram, Twitter, any social media page basically says we want Al Durham to handle the ball. So a traditional scoring guard, shooting guard, two guard, whatever you want, transforming to a combo guard. He was clearly recruited in place of Duke. I mean, you got to read the writing on the wall as obvious as it is. Yeah, and he was an interesting guy to look at when you consider the fact that Providence played against Indiana that had Al Durham just last season got a chance to talk to him at media day. And he said that was a factor in why he came to Providence. He got to scout the team. He got to play against the guys, get to know them through that process and was able to see what this team could do. So that's a significant factor as to why you're bringing a guy like him in. And I don't think you bring a veteran presence like him in without having a plan for him in this offense and at the defensive end of the floor as well. 
Yeah, especially defensively. If there's anything we're going to miss about Duke, obviously it's that he was one of our two go-to guys last season. But defensively, he was just a force. He was a, a 6'6 point guard, you know, guarding the likes of Gillespie, Zegarowski, uh, Paul Scroggs, like all those undersized oh, yeah. point guards that are really good had fits against David Duke because he's so long defensively and plays mm-hmm. small. Yeah, and if you look up and down this lineup, I mean, Jared Byam's probably not going to wow anybody with his defense. He's good, but he's not going to go against the Paul Scruggs very well. Reeves has been hit or miss with defense. Horkler hit or miss. Watson hit or miss. And, you know, Ed Cooley prides himself on defense. So you need somebody to step up and be a leader on that end of the floor. And you look at Durham's profile, I think that's an area where they expect him to excel this year. Yeah, I'd have to agree. You know, Ed Cooley always says he hangs his hat on defense. Obviously, last season wasn't our best defensive season. Meaning, I mean, obviously, we went 13 and 13. That's not a great year. But he hangs his hat on defense. So it it makes sense that he recruited a defensive savvy guard to fill the role of another defensive savvy guard. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see the way Cooley has him fit in. The other guy. Let's talk a little bit about Justin Manaya and what we think he's going to bring. I know if you go back to that podcast we recorded when he committed, but our, our first reaction was Lefty Reeves with the way he shoots the ball. But I know his profile is a little bit less of a shooter and a little bit more of a rebounder. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, I mean, I think if you look at his previous career statistics at a large scale, he wasn't the most consistent shooter, nor was he the go-to guy. He, he reminds me of a, a sophomore year A.J. Reeves with respect to streaky shooting, where he'll put up a, a game with 22 or he'll go sheepishly with a one in 10 performance you know it's going to be hit or miss but rebounding he's a bigger guy he's going to play like that stretch power forward position and just looking at the the stat sheet from the exhibition game six rebounds in 25 minutes of play uh, not not bad no and that's the kind of impact that this team is definitely going to expect from him i think when we get to when we start to talk about the starting lineups i think we know who is who is going to start game one against Fairfield, Manai is not going to be one of those guys. So him, his impact is going to be as a rebounder. It's going to be as an energy guy who can come in and give extra minutes, things like that. But also, he'll be able to get as many or as few minutes based on how he's playing and the guys around him. I think Durham, Reeves, Manaya, all guys that have been streaky in their careers. And I think this team's going to be banking on at least one of them having a good night every night. If you're looking for a Providence player prototype that Justin Manaya fills the role of, think Isaiah Jackson, the off-the-bench stretch small forward power forward that isn't the most consistent stat stuffer when it comes to scoring, but will give you hustle minutes in the paint, will play bigger than he is, will grab a couple of boards, and play some pretty decent defense. That's who I think... He reminds me of the most when it comes to his role on this team is Isaiah Jackson. Yeah, I think that's actually a fantastic comparison. Probably not as good of a shooter as somebody like Jackson and probably a little bit better of a rebounder. But you're again, you're spot on in terms of an energy guy who's going to come off the bench. Also, he's going to be wearing that 15. Some Emmett Holt comparisons, maybe potentially. Putting up Possibly. that lefty shot down, down low. We'll, we'll see what happens there. 
Uh, another guy I want to talk about, because we've been talking about the veterans that are coming in as transfers. Let's talk about some of these younger guys. You got Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, Alan Breed. It's probably the, the three, we'll, we'll call them young guys, who are entering their second real year of play in this system. What do you expect from that group this year? Um, I hope that Jared Bynum takes a, a jump. Obviously, he was injured last season, but when he was on the floor, he took a lot of the pressure off of Duke and Alan Breed, who were the other who are essentially running the point. Jared Bynum is a traditional point guard. He's that Kyron Cartwright type point guard that's going to look to pass first before shooting. So I hope that Jared Bynum takes a big leap this year. He's the type of point guard, undersized table setting dish out first point guard that thrives in Ed Cooley's offensive system. So you hope that he's healthy so that you can got, get guys like Durham, Bynum, Goodine, Reeves off the ball and that they can, you know, he can find them in their spots. Um, as for Ed Croswell, uh, obviously, Matt, we talked about this offline, but he slimmed down and he looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Slimmed down with his if, number now. He's wearing number five now, dropped from 21 to five. I thought so. I thought he yeah. he, sl- he changed his number. I didn't know if it was because they, they didn't promote it, but I, I thought so. Um, yeah. But I, I see Ed Croswell moving down to the four, like a, a hybrid four or five like Emmett Holt in his senior season. Yeah, and I, I see that a lot, too. And I, I think you see a lot of redundancies with this roster, and I mean that in a positive way. If you want a guy who can play the four and can rebound well, well, you got Croswell. And you got Manaya who, who can do that. If you want, don't forget Horkler. And Horkler. If you want wing guard type guys that can shoot the ball and run your offense and play some defense, you got Reeves and you got Durham. If you want a guard who can run the show, you got Bynum, you got Breed, and you got Goodine, who I hadn't even mentioned before. All guys who were competing for playing time. I, I know. And actually, don't forget Legend Jeter is a guy who can come in and give you a rebounding presence. Croswell, he had he tied the team lead with eight rebounds in the, the exhibition against Stonehill. So I, I, if you're not going to have consistent play, having a lot of guys who can do the same thing and counting on at least one of them to step up any given night is a recipe for at least some success, I think. And just going back to Croswell real quick, you, you talk about eight rebounds. That shouldn't be a surprise to many Friar fans. For the, the limited minutes that he got last season, he was banging around on the backboards. I, I mean, oh, I yeah. think that Marquette game when Nate Watson tweaked his ankle – Croswell got a, a hefty amount of minutes, and he was doing pretty well against the likes of Theo John, who, by the way, Duke. I, I don't know how we haven't talked about that yet. Theo John is playing <laughs> at Duke. You saw that TikTok I sent you. I'll have to link that in the description. But, yeah, I saw some TikTok with some students that were in a group project with Theo John down at Duke, and it came up on my For You page, and I, I was just cackling. The camera turns around, and it's him there. I just I, – I can't wait to throw on a Duke game and watch Theo, Theo John goaltend twice and see Coach <laughs> Gay go into orbit. I, I, I mean Coach K is a sore loser as it is. What happens when the guy that you took from Wojo – who by, I won't even get into Wojo. But the, the, the player that you take from Wojo starts goaltending. Forget it. He, he's going to lose now, his mind. Now let's, now let's bring up a potential other thing here. Let's say that after all these years, Theo John's actually been a good player and Wojo didn't know what to do with him or how to coach him. And he gets down to Duke and ends up being like an All-American type player. That could be equally as funny to watch from the outside, just to watch Marquette fans combust. Okay, I agree there. 
I mean, <laughs> Knowing Theo that John, the guy. There are some times when you look at opposing Big East players and you're like, oh, man, like, hate him, wish he was on our team. Like, Theo John, you loved watching him because he was so terrible. He had – and, again, you don't know if this is him, this is Coach Wojo, but his basketball IQ, especially in high-intensity late-game situations, awful. Like, he's going for a tip-in and he goaltends offensively turnover. Providence takes the ball and wins the game. I, I mean – Oh man, <laughs> yeah! What a guy! Yeah, we could do a, a whole podcast just dissecting him, but we we do have to move on to other topics here. One thing we have not talked about in any pods so far is the schedule. So let's take a look at what the Friars have coming up in non-conference. We can start there. The opener is going to be November 9th, home game against Fairfield, and then the Friars turn around just two days later to play Sacred Heart. I haven't seen that that often, that two games in three days to start the year. That's not some kind of a neutral site tournament. And then right off the bat, game three, big game. Road game at Wisconsin, the number 44 team in the country per Ken Palm. Friars starting the year at 85. What is your read on that first week of the season? Um, first week, Fairfield, Sacred Heart. Um those should be good warm-up games. You know, uh, we opened the season against Fairfield last year and then went right into the thick of it with Indiana. I, I think the Fairfield game was kind of misleading last season because you're playing a mid-major program that hasn't really seen a ton of success over the past couple of years. You're, you're going to blow them out at home, obviously. You flip the script and you go right over to Indiana, a Power 5 school, and you get your teeth kicked in. Like, there's no real onboarding phase you get teased a little bit and then right into the thick of it i like that we have the quick turnaround um that might be an unpopular opinion but fairfield day off sacred heart i think that's fantastic because you're gonna get repetition and if anything stands true in this sport in this league in this conference repetition matters so getting those guys used to playing with each other against division one teams is important before you head over to wisconsin because that's a road game yeah, and that's going to be a real tough opponent. I mean, you got it's the 9 p.m. tip on a Monday night out there in Madison, Wisconsin. I don't expect a Friars win. This is part of the Gavit tip-off games. I'd be impressed if the Friars do win. I think what you're looking for is a competitive performance to try to set the tone for later in the season. But Wisconsin has a, a good team. After that, home game against New Hampshire. And then turn around again, and you're into one of these multi-team events. Right around Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving, they're going to get Northwestern. Uh, this game is right at the Prudential Center. So familiar building for the Friars. That's where Seton Hall plays. They get Northwestern in the first game, and then the second game, Tuesday night, they will get either Georgia or Virginia. So a, a couple high-caliber opponents there, possibly. And then the other big opponent you have to note on the schedule Texas Tech, Big East, Big 12, that game is going to be at home at the Dunkin' Donuts Center on a Wednesday night. And, I mean, this is a a very good Texas Tech team. They are ranked 12th preseason in Ken Palm. So there's going to be a couple tough games for the Friars, and I think you got to win the other ones. you got to take care of business with your bye games because outside of that, I mean, Texas Tech, Northwestern, Wisconsin, these are going to be tough games for them to win. I, I think I'm, I'm going to go and say there are three very important games here, like you just said, Matt, mm-hmm. 
Wisconsin, Northwestern, Texas Tech. I'm going to say there's a potential fourth game in Virginia or Georgia, but as many Friar fans are uh, too uncomfortably familiar with, Northwestern gave us a run for our money two seasons ago when we played them out in Chicago. They won. So, yeah. yeah, I know. So that, Was that uh, lacrosse player or whatever who was playing for him? Yeah, the, the kid that played four years of lacrosse played point guard and carved up Pipkins. But that's yeah. besides the point. Um, I, I think but to, let's just – all right. If you look at Wisconsin and you look at Texas Tech, I think you got to go one and one here. You lose both of those, you go into conference play with no national credibility. I think if you can beat either Wisconsin or Texas Tech and you lose to Northwestern, that's fine. But you lose to all three and and you're looking at the 2019-2020 non-conference season all over again. And I mean, this is that's kind of the expectation for this Friars team picked to finish in the bottom half of the conference. You lose one of your best players from last year. Ken Palm has you is 85th. I mean, I think everybody agrees this is a good team. The question is, can they rise to any kind of national relevance or are they going to get stuck with a bunch of other good teams in the Big East? It's a big test for Ed Cooley kind of an odd season with the transfers, a uh, very different roster construction than I think you would typically see. And we're going to see how things play out. We also have to mention the Friars do get URI again this year. That series will resume. That'll be at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. URI sitting at 100 exactly in Ken Palm preseason. So Friars should be favored to win that game. I think that's a must win. You can't lose to your if you're going to lose to all the big games to the national opponents. You got to beat your rival at home and URI is going to be the best team that they play in non-conference outside of some of these neutral site things and conference versus conference events. I agree, Matt. I think if we're going to look at this in the lens of playing power conference teams versus the mid-majors that are pretty competitive. I think URI is the most competitive mid-major that we'll play this season. Mm-hmm. That that one's a must-win. Absolutely. It's Not to mention, it's also a rivalry game. Yeah. And I'm sure the dunk is going to be rocking for that one. You know we're going to be there. I'm not missing that game. Uh, and then conference play starts. Uh, I'll just run through the beginning here. The, the interesting game, Big East play starts with a road game at UConn. I think that's another camp in this one. I got to get up there to stores to see that that game. That environment's going to be crazy. A UConn team that is very hyped coming into the season. So that'll be one heck of a Big East opener, but that's also quite a ways away. That doesn't take place until December 18th. That is going to be here sooner than we realize, but also it's still far enough out that I don't think we can speculate too much on how that game is going to go. What we can that's speculate right. on, though, lineups starting lineups joe i know you have what you think the starting lineup is going to be this year and we can compare that to what we saw in the scrimmage against stonehill if you want to run through that for us yes absolutely just a quick note matt i think we do know what's in store in that game at at uconn you're going to be in the presence of dan hurley who is the the (laughs) dave gavitt messiah risen from the dead who's going to lead the big east back into national relevancy have you not been reading the espn national media about Danny Hurley and the Connecticut Huskies. I, well, I mean, I would, I, would, I would have had my own. I would have been able to talk to Dan Hurley myself, ask him these questions. But everybody else was just fawning over UConn too much for me to even have a, a chance to get in there. With no national championships under his belt and very minimal NCAA 
tournament appearances, it's so obvious that Dan Hurley is is the new face of the Big East Conference after one season. Wow. I just I think it's outstanding. It's remarkable how much things change. <laughs> I know you weren't going to pass up an opportunity to rag on Dan Hurley. I mean, I as a coach, I absolutely respect him. I mean, I mean, he's given Ed Cooley a run for his money at Rhode Island with Connecticut, etc. But I just I can't stand that the national media is pinning him basically as a brand new Dave Gavitt. I, I just uh, drives me nuts. What did he do? He had one over 500 winning season, came in third in the conference last year. Great. When you lost your best player, you went 500 even. That says more about him than it does about James Booknight. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, the proof is in the pudding. Let's see what happens when he has to consistently recruit against Big East teams and play on the road in Big East environments. I don't think he deserves all this high praise and credit until we get to that point. But yes, Joe, let's talk starting lineups. I know you have your projections here. Um, I'll give you the starting lineup for the Friars against Stonehill was Nate Watson, Al Durham, A.J. Reeves, Noah Horkler, Jared Bynum. Is this a little foreshadowing, Joe? Is that what we're going to see against Fairfield? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, like you said, Matt, the proof is in the pudding. Um, right here I have listed point guard Jared Bynum, combo guard Al Durham, wing A.J. Reeves, power forward Noah Horkler, center Nate Watson. I also have my off-the-bench players listed in order of which I think they will come off the bench. Um, six at the wing forward spot, Justin Manaya. Seven at the combo guard spot, Alan Breed. Eight at the shooting guard spot, Bryson Goodine. Nine at the stretch power forward center spot, you got Ed Croswell. And a potential 10 at the power forward spot, you got Legend Jeter. Yeah, I think you are spot on. I think the interesting thing for me is going to be the balance between Bynum, Breed, and Goodine. Since we saw a good play from all three of them for stretches last season. And from what we saw, Breed and Goodine looked pretty good in the scrimmages. So we'll see. I mean, Bynum also looked good, but I think it's going to be, I think they're all going to be fighting for playing time, put it that way. You know what, though? If they're all good and they're all fighting for playing time, then we'll be drowning in honey because uh, that's not a bad problem to have. I see. Quite honestly, I'm very excited to watch Bryson Goodine this season. He reminds me uh, of a Malik White type off the bench, uh, although more in a shooting guard role, whereas Malik played the point when he would come off the bench because Malik could score. And Bryson Goodine has shown clearly in the scrimmage and in the exhibition that he can score. But as this thought pops into my head, I just want to make note, don't take anything from an exhibition game to heart. Unless you're John Rothstein and you want to explicitly point out that Nate Watson only got three rebounds in 19 minutes of playing time. Is that uh, is that tweet still up? I Please tell me he deleted that. That was so bad. No, it's still up. And for anyone who doesn't know what I'm referencing, go take a look at my Twitter handle. But John Rothstein, after the Providence Stonehill exhibition game, tweeted in tweeted you know let me pull it up and read it word for word because it's just so ridiculous that you need to hear exactly what he said john rothstein always takes stats from exhibitions slash scrimmages with a grain of salt but it stands out that providence's nate watson only had in all caps three rebounds in 19 minutes against stonehill average 6.7 rebounds per game last season Keep in mind, John Rothstein is the self-proclaimed hungriest insider of college basketball. 
Well, the hungriest insider of college basketball couldn't do a quick three-minute Google search to know that Watson played or Watson averaged 32 minutes of playing time last season. So if you're going to do some rough math, 19 is roughly just over half of 32. So in half of his playing time, Watson recorded half of his average rebounds. In the same amount of time, 19 minutes, which again, a little over half of his playing time, Watson recorded 17 points, which exceeds his points average from last season. Yeah, also, I don't know what it's I, a scrimmage and there's variation. I don't have the stats in front of me. I can tell you Nate Watson had games with less than six rebounds last year. Doesn't make him a bad player. <laughs> I, I, I Come just on, John. Come on. I'm not going to tell him how to do his job because he has his job for a reason. But if you're going to run around and say, I'm the hungriest insider of college basketball, don't tweet out lunacy and, and then and then have nothing to back it up other than your eyes looking at a box score. Do five minutes. Yeah. It took me five minutes to look up Watson's season statistics and cross-reference it with the box score. Five minutes. And the hungriest insider of college basketball couldn't even do that before he sent out a controversial tweet. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's what you get with John Rothstein. But yeah, no. Hey, you said he just had his eyes on the box score. Coming up next, we're gonna have an interview with somebody who had his eyes in the building for this game. That'll be WDOM's Peter DiBiase. So make sure you stay tuned for more Friars basketball coverage right here. Coming up next. And now we will be welcoming to the show Peter DiBiase live from Providence, one of the few that has gotten his eyes on this Providence team twice already this season. Peter, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thank you for having me on for the second time on this awesome podcast. Yeah, you know, it's a pleasure to have you. Obviously, we used to broadcast together back in the WDUM days. You're still doing it. How's that going? Is it nice to be back in the building to broadcast? Oh, yeah, because obviously COVID, I'm a junior now, and freshman year, like Matt just said, him and me doing some broadcasts at the dunk, it's just awesome, obviously, being at the stadium, at the arena, getting there a couple hours early, doing all that. Last year was tough with COVID. It was tough on everyone, not just people in basketball, but it was tough broadcasting virtually, which most people did. So it was good to be back for the Stonehill game, even though it was an exhibition game. Still like 5,000, 4,000, I believe that's what the attendance was at the dunk. It was still good to get there early go through the whole media thing, sit courtside, and just kind of feel like we're back to normal college basketball. Oh, yeah. There's that whole routine about going to the dunk, getting there early, getting yourself set, watching warm-ups, things like that that you just can't get off the, the broadcast copy of what you see on TV. And that environment really adds something to the broadcast. But let's start with this. What were your initial takeaways on the team getting to see them play against Stonehill? And to go with that, did you see any changes immediately from the black and white scrimmage to this game against Stonehill? So, yeah, when it comes to the black and white scrimmage, I would say, I don't know, I don't want to say throw that out because obviously that's important, but I think that was more for the fans just to kind of get back into alumni, be able to actually see province basketball live for the first time in a very over a year. I think if, so that was cool. I think we throw that out a little because it was going against each other. They're kind of mix and matching. So I think we take more from the Stonehill game than the black and white. So when it comes to the Stonehill game, I saw like the first half, it, I wouldn't say it was a great half, but I would say it was something you expected 
coming, not playing. Like I, we put out a tweet on WDO and Sports, and this is the first time we've been in the dunk in 593 days. So it's been a long time for them to play at the dunk and then play against a real team. It's been over a year, obviously. So I think that was a little iffy because just playing against another team that doesn't know your plays is always different. But the first half mm-hmm. was up and down, a couple turnovers. The team looked good defensively, which is always good. Um, and what Cooley did, which is what I liked, and what you what you should do in a scrimmage, is he kind of mixed and matched kind of some lineups. Like he did, he put a, a Nate Watson with a Manaya. So put Manaya at the four and Nate Watson at the five. And then he did a, a Manaya Horcourt. So he ran two front court players and are kind of more of a four player instead of a five. He kind of ran them as the two bigs. And then he ran an Ed Cross from Nate Watson lineup. And then he ran um, a Horkler Ed Cross lineup. So you kind of get what I'm saying? Like he kind of mix and match the lineups there. So try to see what works and what doesn't work. And he also full court pressed for maybe 75% of the game. Yeah, I, I want to latch onto that first thing. I'll come back to the full court press part. But of those combos in the front court with your big guys, were there any that really stood out to you that worked well together? There's something about Justin Minaya. So like Justin Minaya, obviously, the South Carolina transfer. So he's a veteran guy, and he's going to be mainly off the bench. He's like a six seven, six eight guy. But his he's not known for his offense. He did have nine points in the game, was three for five from the field, which is efficient. But, man, six rebounds, two blocks, two assists. He was very good at defending the perimeter, and he also could defend down low. Like he wasn't worried when somebody was backing him down in the post. He was perfect defending. And then he was perfectly defending on the perimeter by the three in the paint. Like just doing he can kind of de- what I'm trying to get here. He's kind of defend wherever on the court. So that's very versatile because he kind of he can play the four and you can also put him at the three, which is very cool. You could run a you can run like a Bynum, Durham, Manaya, Hork or Nate Watson lineup. Like you could Manaya is gonna be that guy that you can plug in anywhere on a lineup and he's gonna make impact defensively and even offensively. And like I, the Ed Cross with Nate Watson lineup really didn't work. It was cool to see because Ed Cross was totally different. Like the Ed Cross that we saw last year as a, as I believe he was a sophomore, I believe his first year from LaSalle is totally mm-hmm. different. He lost 25 pounds. He looks, he's in great shape. He was four for five from the field in 18 minutes and had nine points, had eight rebounds, had two blocks. Like and he had five offensive rebounds. Like he was an absolute animal. On, on the offensive side of the ball, especially rebounding. But I think the lineup, like, Abinaya and Nate Watson lineup is going to be very cool. I think that's a very interesting lineup. I think you could run, like, Abinaya, Horkland, Nate, could kind of mix and match. And then they did, uh, kind of getting away from the big men, we kind of go into the guards. They ran, obviously, a Bynum, Reeves, and Durham to start. But then they put took out Bynum and ran Durham at the point. And Durham was very good at the point. So I think what this team has this year than that they didn't have last year is that you have so much flexibility that you can do so many different lineups, which just makes your team better as a whole. Yeah, and that flexibility is something that Cooley prides himself on. You talk about the front court. When you have a guy like Durham, if he can handle the ball, that gives you more options for running your offense. And then also you add Bonham, you add Breed, you add Goodine, who all have experience with that. And going back to that full court press, you got a lot of these fast, these quick guards who like to get in it at the defensive end of the floor. I think Breed is a really big example of that. Same with Goodine. That's where they were used last year. How effective was that full court press when they brought those guys out? I would say it was effective in the sense that it slowed down Stonehill's offense. It wasn't one of those full court presses like Bob Huggins at West Virginia when they go for steals every time and they just make it 
absolutely impossible. It was kind of the one is to kind of slow down the shot clock. So once they get over half court, they don't have the full shot clock to work with. They have mm-hmm. a diluted shot clock. So I think that's what Cooley was trying to get at. And I think he was trying to see, can we guard full court when we have to, when we're losing by eight or 10 in big East play, when we need to get, make a, get a couple of quick baskets to get back in the game, or when maybe we're not playing great defense on the, on the half court, we want to play good defense on the front court. I mean, full court, excuse me, and slow it down and kind of make them work for their points. So I think that's what he was trying to do. It was like, there was a three, the full court press was like mix and match. Like he put three guys up, for example, like Reese, Bynum, and Durham. And then he dropped two back and just put Durham up and just Durham guarded the ball handle at full court or Bynum guarded the ball handle at full court. So it was kind of a mix and match kind of um, mm-hmm. full court press, but it was more of the one where you think slowing them down in that sense instead of trying to like get steals and trying to get back in the game because obviously they won by a lot. So it's more of that full court press to kind of slow Stonehill down and kind of make them work for their points and then see if – and Chloe wanted to see, you know what, can we full court press and then can we get back into our defensive set? And from a stamina perspective, too, it helps to have as much depth at guard as they have when you want to run that press. I mean, you don't have to worry about your guys getting as tired because if they get tired, you're just going to go to the next guy. Who I think from what we've seen, Cooley feels like he has four very competent guards to run the offense. Yeah, I think I, I think we're going to I'm going to throw five. Actually, we're going to throw I don't know. If AJ's going to run the offense, but I, I think of AJ as a guard. Uh, I see more as a two. I agree with you. So, like Durham, Bynum, AJ, um, Breeding, Goodine, and then you threw in Matias Case as a six, who's a freshman from Penn. So, you have like five guards th- that are going to play legit minutes. And I like the Goodine point. I think Goodine was good. Goodine had 12 points in 15 minutes. The problem with Goodine, like you could see an evolution from last year. Because Goodine was not great last year. I think he'd be the first person to tell you that. But he's he was much more confident shooting, getting to the hole. You can see his athleticism. That's why Syracuse loved him. And that's why he's mm-hmm. playing Division One basketball, because he's a super athletic basketball player. His turnovers. I think Chloe pulled him and it was a kind of te- a learning lesson because Goodine, you can score and you can be efficient because he was you, you got to cut the turnovers down. So, which is, I guess, a, there's like there's positives and negatives in it. Obviously, the negative is the turnover, but what I took from good items that it's he's an aggressive player now. Like it was different than when he was last year, he was doing a lot of things that we didn't see last year. If he cuts the turnovers off turnovers out, he'll be great off the bench with him and breed kind of those two guards off the bench. But like, I agree with you. There's so much depth on this team. It's incredible how much depth on this team we have from last year. And I know there are certainly questions about the high-level talent when you lose a guy like David Duke, and they didn't replace him with anybody of that caliber. I think that's a big reason why the Friars were picked to finish where they were in the Big East preseason. So I think the big question is going to be this depth. How far can that carry you when you run a deep lineup and you're can that keep you in a game against the Villanovas, the Yukons, the Wisconsins of the world, Texas Tech, when you face them at the dunk, or are you going to get run out of your own building because you only have Nate Watson and maybe AJ Reeves who can play at a high level? No, I agree. And I, I agree because what Cooley did is to replace Duke, he brought in Al Durham, who plays the same position as him. But Al Durham played at Indiana. And big Indiana, big time basketball school, Big Ten, one of the best conferences in all of college basketball. So Al Durham's been there and he's done that. You know what I mean? Like he's not going to be afraid of the big time like that. You can tell because in the first half he really didn't do that much, but in the second half he was so efficient. 
Durham finished with 12 points, five assists, and eight rebounds. Like Durham was doing everything. He was getting to the hole, and he has confidence. And I'm going to compare him to someone, and he's not the same play style, but he reminds me of the confidence that I saw in the Juan Pipkins in the second half of that two years ago, of that year two years ago, where he's shooting the ball and it's going in. So I, mean, I think that's I good saw that with <laughs> – Yes, I don't don't take it like as he's the same player as the Juan Pipkins because I think yeah. they're totally two different players. I think Durham gets his teammates a little more involved than Pipkins did. Mm-hmm. I think he's less of a scorer, but I think Durham plays at a high at a high level at Indiana. So did Justin Minaya played at South Carolina in the SEC. Those are high level college basketball conferences. So I think Minaya and Durham are replacing Duke in the sense that they've been there, they've done that. They're not going to be afraid of the moment. There's a reason Cooley brought him in. He didn't bring him in just to be bad. Like, there's cool. He has a plan. And I think actually this team, not to say they're benefiting off David Duke lose, lose, uh, leaving because obviously not because David Duke's an NBA player on the Brooklyn Nets right now. But I think this team's a little more of a team, if that makes a little sense. I think Durham and Minaya, yeah. like, they want to win games. They didn't come here to, like, not play or not win games. There's a reason, like, Al Durham left Indiana. You know what I mean? Like, he came here to win games. So, I think Durham and Minaya are great replacements because they've been there. They've played in the SEC. They've played in the Big Ten. They've played the Michigans, the Kentuckys, the Michigan States of the world, the Ohio States of the world. Like They played legit, legit college basketball teams that make deep runs in the March Madness every year. So they've been there and they've done that. And I think having Durham and having Minaya and Minaya coming off the bench, like that's just going to be great for that bench unit and just give you a lot of flexibility. Yeah, and I think experience is something to note looking up and down this lineup. Obviously, you've got Horkler, Reeves, Watson all returning. You've got Manaya and Durham as veteran transfers. And a lot of those guys that were role players last year are going to have a chance to add more to this team. So this is certainly a veteran lineup. Let's talk about those three guys at the top, Reeves, Watson, and Horkler. Those were those are the leaders of this team coming back. What do you think the Friars can expect to see from them this season, based on what we saw in the scrimmage against Stonehill? Yeah, like Horkler and Watson and Reeves, they're going to be very important. Um, one, they've been here and they've played in Big East. Obviously, this is Nate Watson, Nate Reeves have played much longer than Horkler has in the Big East. But Nate Watson's up to the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Award. I believe that was the award he was up for. Am I am I wrong on that? Uh, no. Okay, so, yeah, so Nate Watson's one of the best big men in the country. He's the best big man, in my opinion, in the Big East. He's picked first team all uh, preseason for all Big East. So he's going to be an absolute force down low, an absolute force down low. So he's going to be just a pain in the you-know-what for teams to guard him. And I think he needs to touch the ball every single time he gets the ball in offense because when the ball goes through Nate Watson, it's just the offense is totally different and it opens up outside shots. AJ, what I saw from the – is that this looks like a different AJ. AJ lost 20, 25 pounds, and he got in much better shape. And I thought he was already in great shape. He looked in great shape. But from what I've read and what I've heard from around the school, just being here, and he and I'm actually in a class with him, so I've talked to him for a little bit, but he's in. Um, he's lost a lot of weight, and he just feels great. And he was getting to the hoop in the sense that he was cutting, getting himself open. He was driving. He was using his dri- – he was dribbling, like which you don't always see from A.J. Reese. And the, sh- the three w- threes weren't there, but he was still five for eight from the field. Like when A.J. doesn't hit threes, you'd be like, oh, man, he's two for eight, two for ten from, th- uh, from the field. He was five for eight. So that means he was doing other things besides threes. And we know that threes are going to come. Like he was 
seven for 11 from three in the black and white scrimmage. Like the threes are going to come. So I think if we see an AJ that is aggressive, that is getting to the hoop, that is making himself open, like cutting, doing just stuff to help the team, not just him, that could be a great um, addition to the team for in the sense of him developing. And then Noah Horker, look, he, first half Noah Horker last year wasn't good. He was a slow developer. Second half Noah Horker last year was incredible. Um, Hopefully we see that same production. He had seven points and five rebounds and three assists in only 25 minutes. He only took three shots and it was three for three. So I like that efficiency. Obviously, like that wasn't the point of this, uh, the exhibition game to like see how good Noah Horker is. He's going to be good. Um, mm-hmm. And he can kind of work with the lineup like Manaya, maybe him and Manaya, Because, Matt, you know, there's going to be some teams we play, not just in Big East play, that are not going to have a true setup. So Nate Watson's going to be hard for him to guard on the outside. So you're going to want Horker and Manaya kind of to run the two front courts because they can guard and we know Horker can guard on the outside. So I think Horker and Nate and AJ are going to be the anchors of this team. But the X factor, like I say every year, if we see a, an approved AJ and if we see like what I saw in the exhibition game, this team is a little better than people think. I mean, that is certainly music to my ears. Uh, and AJ Reeves is going to be shifted into a much bigger role this year. I want to change topics one last time here. Let's talk about the bottom of this lineup, the young guys. There's two true freshmen and one redshirt freshman on this team. You have Legend Jeter and Rafael Castro, the team's two recruits this year. Plus, they brought in the transfer Matias Case from Penn, who didn't play last year. Ivy League didn't play basketball last year. So he doesn't have any actual experience here. What can we know? What, do we, what should we know about those three coming into this year? Who can make an impact? So I like how you said it, because obviously Legend and Raphael are both uh, coolest recruits for this class. And obviously Raphael, if you guys haven't heard, is redshirting. So Raphael, we won't see Raphael this year. And Raphael, and he, he didn't even play against Stonehill. No, no. I saw him in the black and white scrimmage. Man, he's tall. Like, he's tall, and he was lean, and he could block shots. So he's going to be very good. But I think Cooley saw his body type, and he was a higher recruit. He's trying to take 120. So I think Cooley knows. We we have a future star. I believe he's going to be a future star. I'm very high on this kid, and I think he needs a year. You remember Justin Patton at Creighton, mm-hmm. who red redshirted and yeah. blew up after that one year. Yeah, he he was the lanky guy at first. Yes, he he. It screams Justin Patton for me. Like that one year transition. Like we see next year. We go into next year. We see a much better, like a much stronger Raphael, much more just aggressive. And I think. Him being a retro freshman next year is going to be huge for next year's team. But obviously, we want to focus on this year's team. Legend playing the four. Look, he's going to be, he's going to, it's going to be tough for Legend. I also think this is a reason Raphael this, decided to stretch on him because there's just a lot of depth at the at the big man. You have Horkler and you have Manai, and then you have obviously Crosswell and you have um, Nate. So there's four guys that are going to do most of the bulk of work at the four and the five. And then Legend, look, Legend played four minutes. He was getting absolutely destroyed. And the rest were just not getting any calls, like right on, right by us, um, by the broadcasting um, table. So it was crazy. But he's a big man. Legend's a big guy, and I think you can see the potential in him. I don't think he's going to be great right away because I don't think he's going to need to be great. You know what I mean? Like he's going to come in and he's going to tell him, "Don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything crazy. Just do your role." But I don't think we see a lot out of Legend um, his freshman year. Be- just because there's not there's not a lot of playing time on this team at that position. Mm-hmm. So I think that's not really on him. That's more of like on who's in front of him. So mm-hmm. I think we see a couple minutes from Legend here and there. Hopefully we we can blow out Fairfield and Sacred Heart so we get to see a lot of Legend. Like that would be awesome. That's what I'm really hoping for. And then when it comes to Matthias Case, look, he's the guard. He's a sixth guard. He's behind Durham, Bynum, Reeves, uh, Goodeye, and, and Breed. And I 
agree with you. Like he's also like a freshman. Like technically he is because he obviously was at Penn last year. Obviously transferred, but obviously didn't play last year in 2020 because of COVID. So he's kind of a true freshman and he played five minutes. He had two points and he was very aggressive again to the hoop. So I think I agree with him. I think him and Geeter could be very good. The problem is this is just a log jam. This is just an absolute log jam. So them not playing this year is not really um, their fault or really like a, how they should be viewed as a future player for the Friars. I think it's more of just who the heck's in front of him when you have so many players that are so good in front of him, in front of both this of them. Is a, yeah, this is Cooley definitely looking towards the future as well. You always have to have an eye on the future in a sport like college basketball. But we'll stick with the present one last question before we let you go here. What's your prediction for this Friars team? Where do you think they finish in the Big East? So I don't have a record prediction off the top of my head, but I have uh, like a standings, and I was, I've, I've, been, I've been calling this the whole time. I think I have them finishing fifth in the Big East. That's my prediction. I'm finishing fifth, and I, I got them as an 11 seed for the NCAA tournament. Call me crazy, but look, every time Ed Cooley's team are picked in the, to finish between like 7 to 11, or obviously seven to ten, but now seven to eleven in the Big East, they're always better than they're supposed to be. I think they're better than a couple teams, so I got them finishing. I think Nova and UConn are very good, but after that, I think I think even after Nova, it just becomes a crapshoot because I really don't think UConn's on Nova's level. So I think UConn kind of can fall back to where everyone else is. But I got, I'm being honest, I got the Friars finishing fifth in the Big East. That's not bad. That's ahead of what the coaches think. I got it. I'm with you here, Peter. I like the depth of this lineup. I like what they can possibly bring to this team. So we're going to see how that plays out. And I'm sure we will be talking to you again in the near future once Friars basketball actually starts up. Thank you for coming on the show. Peter, let the people know where they can find you. Yeah, thank you for having me, man. I would obviously love to come back on and do another episode like I did last year for the UConn game throughout the year. So let me know. But yeah, you can just follow me on DBIC Peter on Twitter and that'd be perfect. And I have, I have all my links to like my podcast and broadcasting. So also, if you guys want to listen to us, um, just go to WDM sports on Twitter and there's the link for broadcast and we're broadcasting every single home men's basketball game. So you don't want to miss that this year. That definitely don't want to miss that. Lots of good stuff going on at WDOM, so make sure you check them out. And make sure you stay here with us at The Flex. Follow us on Twitter at The Flex Hoops. Follow us wherever you're listening to this so you can get the latest podcast episodes as soon as they come out. We'll be back with you shortly for more Friars content as the season draws closer and closer. Thank you for listening. <laughs>